Elder trees are a common sight in the UK. Their frothy white flowers dip from hedgerows and then the sprays of dark berries lend themselves to elderberry cordial or wine. But there's a stranger side to the elder tree. Beloved for its ability to protect one from witches, they're also believed to be witches in disguise. Some of the law praises and celebrates this beautiful tree, while other superstitions say it cast into a cursed role. So which is it? Are both sets of law right in their own way? Let's go to meet the elder tree in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore and find out. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. I don't know if you ever watched Frasier when it was on Channel 4, but I always feel like I need to start those episodes with, I'm listening. If you do, however, want some kind of random folklore, Agony Ant style podcast show, please do let me know and that could actually be a thing that happens in 2021. Now, in all seriousness, and let's be honest, I was probably more serious than I should have been there, we are continuing with our theme of trees to do with fairies and witchcraft this week. And we're looking at the elder tree. Now, the elder tree is a bit of an interesting one. And I did find that it kind of all the beliefs and the lore and the superstitions and whatnot fell into one of two camps and it's really quite a contradictory tree as a result. So I'm hoping that you enjoy this particular episode and without any further ado, let's just jump right into it, shall we? Now, many superstitions and beliefs do revolve around the protective aspect of the tree, which is kind of one half of the law. And essentially, the tree worked for both your own home and any farm buildings that you owned. So people would often plant an elder tree near their house to attract prosperity. And they also apparently protected people from charms and witches. Now, that said, this does become problematic alongside other beliefs, as we'll see later. But as an example, people would plant an elder tree beside their stable door to keep cattle safe. And you could also hang a wreath of elder in your house on Good Friday after sunset to protect the house from lightning strikes, which seems awfully specific, if you ask me. And lightning becomes quite a theme with the elder tree because people believe that they should stand under an elder tree during a storm to stay safe from lightning. I cannot stress enough, people, do not try that one at all because no tree is safe under a lightning storm. Meanwhile, Paul Kendall notes that it was best to keep the rowan at the front door, which we met a few episodes ago, and the elder at the back by the kitchen door. Now, this one, like a lot of folklore, is probably rooted in practicality because the leaves actually give off an odour that repels flies. So you would then find that people would hang bunches of elder leaves from horses' harnesses or by barns for this fly-deterring nature. And again, somewhat unsurprisingly, people would plant the trees beside dairies and bakehouses. Dairies make sense because obviously you want to try and keep flies away from anything involving dairy products and the bakehouses was actually as protection from the devil and baked goods were left under the elders to cool where they were presumably safe from both flies and the devil but anything that was left overnight was for the fairies and again a lot of this about leaving things near elder trees is probably rooted in practicality because of the leaves ability to deter flies. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, people believe that the tree offered protection against witches, and one practice even lets you see witches with a little bit of help from the elder tree. So if you've been baptised, you need to anoint your eyes with the green juice from the elders in a bark. Personally, I wouldn't recommend it, but there you go. But if you do this, you can apparently see witches. Although, incidentally, it was important not to linger under elder trees after dark because witches hide under them. So I'm not massively sure how this works if you are also trying to avoid lightning, but it might get a little bit crowded under there. But at the same time, and this is where it gets complicated, witches would then apparently wear headdresses of elder blossom and elder twigs on May Day so that the wearer could see spirits and undo any evil magic. This is already getting confusing because that means that you can essentially use elder bark juice to see witches, but then if you're a witch, you can wear elder twigs to undo evil magic. Hmm, <laughs> bit strange. It's even more strange due to the widespread belief that witches could actually turn into elder trees, so that just makes it even more complicated again. And it wasn't just the twigs and bark that were helpful. Coraline Daniels actually relates a belief that you could pick elderberries on St John's Eve, which is June the 23rd, to avoid being possessed by witchcraft. And even better, you'd get magical powers into the bargain. Whether this then also makes you a witch and therefore people can spot you using the juice, we'll never know. But it all gets a little bit tangled up and a little bit confusing. And obviously we don't just have links with witches, we've got links with fairies. So this particular treat takes both of the boxes for this month's theme. And one belief from Germany said that if you fell asleep under an elder tree, you would never wake up. And if you stand under an elder on Midsummer's Eve, you should be able to see fairies. What you would do if you stood under an elder on Midsummer's Eve to avoid lightning, I'm not quite sure. But this is where it all gets a little bit messed up. But I should point out, though, that fairies do favour instruments made of elder. So if you do want to get on the good side... There you go. Now, many superstitions do note that you should never burn elder wood. Now, the wood is terrible fuel because it does spit and scream quite a lot while it's burning because apparently it's quite wet. And people believe that the spitting actually came from the devil, which meant that no one wanted to burn it. Now, a gentleman bought a house near Andover and intended to turn a copse of elder trees into firewood. And his keeper admonished him, telling him, and I quote, Folk won't buy them bavins. They durstn't burn them if you gave them away. They don't want the devil down their chimbleys. End quote. Now, it was also later cursed as being the tree from which Judas Iscariot hanged himself. And if that wasn't bad enough, some people allege that the cross used in the crucifixion was made from elder. And this is really highly unlikely because the wood is just far too lightweight. So it's just really not likely to be true. Although it might explain a 19th century belief around the tree and the dead. So what you are supposed to do is take an elder tree, cut it into a cross and then set it on a new grave. How you do that, I don't know. That's just what the superstition says. But if the tree then blooms, the soul has reached paradise. Now, few of these beliefs or superstitions make sense where they contradict each other. Because it's also really strange that a tree so renowned for its medicinal properties that we're going to have a look at in just a sec and its abilities to deter evil spirits. Why would that then be considered to be the wood used for the cross? But it does just show how such a useful and popular tree was essentially smeared for no real reason. Which does lead us quite neatly onto the medicinal benefits of the tree. And it is one of those helpful natural wonders that offers a lot from each of its parts. And let's be honest, it's quite rare for me to feature a tree that's not poisonous. But anyway, elder trees did contribute quite a lot to medieval medicine. The roots were a diuretic and the berries were used in preparations to soothe piles. So generally quite a useful tree to have around. And even now, an elderflower infusion helps to fight colds and sore throats. And hot elderflower tea or elderberry wine is still said to help combat cold and flu symptoms. And quite frankly, it probably tastes a lot nicer 
than a lot of the commercial preparations that are available. Now, a cure for rheumatism involved carrying some of the elder's green wood in your pocket, and you could also use elder twigs to get rid of toothache. And if you were going to do this, and I don't recommend it, please see your dentist, but there we go. This is what it says you're supposed to do. You should chew a twig, stick it into the wall and say, depart thou evil spirit, and then your toothache would go away. And if you listen to the episode on teeth and weird teeth folklore, then you'll know that that's still a lot nicer than some of the cures for toothache that I went through then, with one of them involving blowing henbane smoke over your teeth. Chewing a twig is slightly preferable to that, and it works on this idea of transference, that you would chew the twig to essentially put the toothache into it, and then you'd use the twig to transfer that into a wall. So there we go, that's how that apparently works. And meanwhile, in the 19th century, Swedish pregnant women would kiss the elder tree for luck in giving birth, which is nicer than some of the other things that I've heard people do. And also, how about the fancy properties of the leaves? We've already talked about how they're quite useful for deterring flies and whatnot, and Glenny Kindred actually notes a very simple technique to deter both flies and mosquitoes. And what you need to do is make an infusion of the leaves and then just rub this into the skin, and that apparently would keep the flies away. While poultices or ointments made from the leaves could also heal eczema or grazes. Now, speaking of skin, elder can also help you preserve your beauty in youth. And all you would do is you'd simply gather dew from elderflowers and then wash your face in it. Because you're worth it. But I'm ch Anyway, I'll crack on, shall I? Now, I did mention earlier that some believed witches could take the form of elder trees. And this might explain the belief that an elder would bleed, weep or speak if you cut it. Others believe that this is due to the elder mother who lives in the tree, not a witch. And in some sources, the elder mother is a dryad, and in others, she's some kind of fairy. Now, either way, she would avenge any injury done to the tree if no one sought her permission first. And this perhaps explains an old Danish belief that elder trees can move. And apparently they would peek into your windows during the night. What they were expecting to see, nobody knows. But that is apparently what Coraline Daniels says is this Danish belief. Now, either way, the general belief counseled people not to cut down an elder tree. And if the tree was cut down and turned into furniture, the dryad would haunt the owners. And it was therefore especially unlucky to make a child's cradle from elder, because if you did, the dryad would attack the child so it couldn't find any peace. Now, this prohibition against cutting down the elder may come from its many uses, because let's be honest, if you've got a tree whose bark, leaves and fruit provide plenty of medicines and other consumables, why would you want to cut it down? But there is one story that might explain where the idea of elder trees being witches actually came from, and that is the story of the Rollwright Stones and the Elder Tree. They're a group of megalithic monuments on the Warwickshire-Oxfordshire border, and they're made up of an early Neolithic dolmen known as the Whispering Knights, a late Neolithic stone circle called the King's Men, and an early Middle Bronze Age Kingstone. Now, the reason why they're so mysterious is because no one can ever actually count the stones, and whenever anyone tries, they come up with a different number. But they're not really important to the story. We're more interested in the elder tree. And in the legend, a king took his army across the Cotswolds, where a witch challenged him. And she said to him that if he could take seven strides and see Long Compton, he would be king of England. So, of course, he did what she challenged. But unfortunately, while he was in the middle of it, a mound blocked his view at the seventh stride. So the witch then ended up turning him and all of his men to stone. So he's the king's stone, while the king's men ring refers to his army. And the whispering knights dolmen were those knights plotting against him. This conveniently ignores the fact that they're all from different time periods, but there we go. The witch herself is a nearby elder tree. 
Now, Arthur J. Evans notes the confusion over which elder tree is the witch. Some think it was once near the circle but was blown down. Others think it was in a hedge near the Kingstone, and yet others more said it was in the field by the mound. Now, Evans does point out that elder is incredibly plentiful in hedgerows, so you're bound to find the tree in the area somewhere. He also relates the fact that people believe that the tree bleeds, proving it is a witch. And according to the Roll Right Stones website, if the tree is cut, it would break the spell and turn the stones back into men. And Evans relates an old custom that required people to stand in a circle at the Kingstone on Midsummer Eve. And at some point in the proceedings, someone would cut the elder, which is in blossom at the time, and then when it bleeds, the Kingstone apparently moves. And Evans also relates other beliefs that people would cut the tree and make it bleed, which would thus diminish the power of the witch. The fact that the stones are still there, um, you know, I'll just leave that one hanging. So for Evans, these superstitions link back to earlier times when dryad belief was more common. And here the elder tree becomes a supernatural being, which in a lot of ways does relate to the idea of the elder mother, which would also explain why the people wouldn't cut the tree down. Although in this case, they would want to cut the tree down in order to free the men. But anyway... Is there any truth to the story? And unfortunately, not likely. However, in 2015, a metal detectorist found the grave of a 7th century Saxon woman at the site, and she was nicknamed Rita. The grave goods that were buried with her suggested that she was a high-status spiritual woman, and this led some to remark on the possibility that she was a pagan witch. So could she have been the Rollright witch? Well, if so, it doesn't explain why she was buried in the traditional fashion, because the legend does specify that she became an elder tree, didn't it? So what do we make of the elder tree overall? Now, it is quite strange to find a tree with such a balance of positive and apparently negative qualities. So on one hand, you've got stories going, ooh, they can turn into witches, but they'll protect you from witches. And then on the other hand, you've got all of these beneficial associations and medicinal properties. So I would say probably make up your own mind about it. But it is just a reminder that you can be both good and bad depending on the context and the context of the elder tree is essentially set against a backdrop of folk medicine and magic, witchcraft and fairies. So if witches and fairies can do both good and evil, why would the elder be any different? Now if you are interested in the tree's ability to protect your home along with the rowan, then you can sign up at the link in the show notes and get my guide to five ways to protect your home using beliefs from folklore. As always, there is a disclaimer, please continue to use your burglar alarm. But if you are interested in ways to, that people used to protect their home using these folkloric beliefs, then you might just enjoy the free guide. You'll also get a weekly email telling you when one of these podcast episodes and blog articles have gone live. And on top of that, I've now decided to add a little bit of extra value into each email. So every week I'll also be recommending another folklore podcast. I've done two so far and they seem to have gone down quite well. So I'll continue to do that as long as people are enjoying it because it's a really good way to spread the joy about all the fantastic folklore podcasts that there are on the airwaves at the moment. So if you are interested, please do feel free to sign up at the Get Your Guide link in the show notes. Incidentally, I do sometimes name people in these posts. or like sort of say, oh, and as so-and-such says, if you're ever curious about the sources, all of them are listed in the blog post that's linked below as well. So my, all my episodes are quite heavily researched and all of that research is then referenced in the blog post because obviously I am an academic so obviously I do like to cite my sources. So that is the end of this week's episode. Next week we're going to meet the mighty Hawthorne and this one's a bumper episode because there is a lot to get through with the Hawthorne. So if you thought the Elder was contradictory you'll love that one and then after that we'll move into all things ghostly for December. So I hope that you have a marvellous week ahead. Remember if you do want additional bonus episodes 
there is the Patreon there. And obviously, if you sign up, you get access to the like 11 or 12 bonus episodes that have happened so far and so on. And you can essentially help me continue to make the podcast. But anyway, without any further ado, I'll let you get on with whatever you were doing before you started listening to this podcast. And I'll see you next week when we go to meet the Hawthorne. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com. And that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio.